Many of us know Focus on the Family to be an organization that, well, focuses on the family by writing books and providing resources on parenting, on marriage, and on other issues that relate to the family. But did you know that Focus on the Family has a huge pro-life focus as well? Well, we didn't for a long time. We were naive in that, in, in that area, but now we do. And so our conversation today is with the Executive Director of Advocacy for Children and Focus on the Family. Here's our conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Before we get into that conversation, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show, and my co-host, my wonderful co-host, is Cameron. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, Peter. I am looking forward to getting out to do some door knocking this afternoon here in Calgary. Um, It's been far too long since I've been door knocking, and I'm excited to get back out and help out with a few of the volunteers who are relatively new to activism. Shout out to all of you listeners who do some form of pro-life outreach already. Um, Certainly absolutely essential. And for those of you who are yet to get involved with a local outreach group, or maybe there isn't a local outreach group, get in touch with us. We can help you get one set up, but... Um, definitely very much looking forward to having those conversations. So yeah, I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Good. I'm doing really good. I'm, I was just thinking if people want to join the pro life uh, group in their area or anything else, they can reach out to us on our brand new website, newly designed, same, same name, prolifeguys.com. Um, but you can uh, reach out to us there, fill out a form, tell us where you are and we can connect you to an organization or a community group in your area. I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for asking. Um, for those, for those who are new to the show, I think it'd be good to note that Cam and I are two guys in Canada who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children. And our podcast is dedicated to giving people the tools that they need to change minds, to save lives and work towards the ultimate transformation of our culture. And so we're having a conversation today, as I mentioned off the top cam with the executive director of advocacy for children at focus on the family. Her name is Robin Chambers. Uh, And in this role, she oversees the following programs, foster care and adoption, uh, which is a program that exists to raise awareness for children in foster care needing forever families and the sanctity of human life campaign, where she oversees pro-life content and communications and option ultrasound, which provides ultrasound machines and sonography training to qualified pro-life medical clinics in high abortion communities. Chambers works with a variety of other pro-life organizations that partner with Option Ultrasound. She visits pregnancy resource centers and attends uh, the Wait No More events that are designed to recruit families to begin the journey of becoming a foster parent and or adopt from foster care. She's also a member of the Leadership Alliance for Pregnancy Care Organizations. She, She has served with focus on the family for more than 25 years Uh, starting in the ministry's family help center as temp staff, taking calls from from people. And now, uh, as I mentioned, is the executive director of advocacy for children. She lives in Colorado Springs, Colorado with her husband, and they have two adult children and three grandchildren. This is our conversation with Robin Chambers. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the show today. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So to kick things off, could you share with us perhaps a little bit about yourself and the work that you do at Focus on the Family? 
I would love to. So um, my name is Robin Chambers, and I've been at Focus on the Family for 28 years. And I often joke and say I started as a temp, and it's probably the longest temp assignment in history. Um, but I really fell in love with um, really the mission of Focus on the Family, and it, it's really about strengthening families. I mean, that looks, you know, really different in some families. It's, you know, it could be a blended family. It could be a family that's adopted from foster care. It's just all those different things that make up a family. And so I really um, resonated with the mission of Focus on the Family. But my personal call was to help women in an unexpected pregnancy. And so I um, have the joy of leading our Advocacy for Children Department at Focus. And I know that's a, a long title. Um, the easiest way to describe that is we help um, women who are in an unexpected pregnancy through our work with pregnancy resource centers across the United States and um, a few in Canada. We have a great relationship with our Focus Canada office and helping them with their sanctity issues. And then I also wear the other hat of working with foster care and adoption. That's both of those areas are very near and dear to my heart. I had my own unexpected pregnancy many, many years ago. Um, and then my husband and I actually went through the foster care process, unfortunately, um, went through the, uh, the foster care process to get uh, guardianship and custody of our grandkids. And so those are two things that are super, super near and dear to my heart and um, love that I can answer the call uh, from the Lord on me and what I do here at Focus. That is so, so cool, Robin. And I must be honest, I was a bit naive to the, the pro-life focus that Focus on the Family has. My, my familiarity with Focus on the Family for so long was often through the Christian radio station in my hometown of Victoria, British Columbia, where we'd have sermons come on, especially late evening sermons after they stopped playing the music, and they would put on a, a long sermon about family matters and whatnot. And so I was very unaware until relatively recently about the pro-life work, about the foster care support and the ultrasound um, initiatives that you guys have. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about kind of the hands-on, not only the ministries that you do, but maybe a couple of stories of whether it's it's groups or individuals that you guys have had the opportunity to work with and really make an impact in their lives. Yeah. So about 17, almost 18 years ago, um, there was a conversation around the abortion numbers in the United States and um, lots of folks talking about what could Focus on the Family do as an organization, you know, to really help drive down the number of abortions um, in the United States. And, you know, at the time they were growing every year, we have seen a little bit of a, what I call a false positive. It looks like abortion numbers in the United States are going down. Um, that really is not something to celebrate because what we are seeing through our research here at Focus and through our Physicians Resource Council is the, the number of surgical abortions are going down, but the number of chemical abortions um, are going up. And that's the abortion pill. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but really talking about what is Focus's role um, in really communicating the pro-life message and how do we do that? And how do we um, really, how do we equip people at, from the church, from our individual families, and then also through pregnancy centers? How do we equip them to have these conversations about what it means to be pro-life? But then also, what does it mean to really reach that woman who is at risk for an abortion? And so that started the Option Ultrasound Program. We will celebrate our 18th year in January uh, 2022. And that's really working with pregnancy centers to get life-affirming resources. It's our booklets. But also the big piece of that was to work with them to get ultrasound machines. And there's so much that went into that. Um, it's not something that you just plop down and say, hey, good luck with that. 
you know, we're out of here. It really was looking at um, everything from policies and procedures to what does it mean to have a nurse on staff who can go through the training necessary to then perform that skill? And then how do we get doctors involved? Because that's one of the big pieces that I don't think a lot of people are really aware of is everything that goes on in a pregnancy center is um, following medical regulations, not because focus on the family says you have to do that, but because we're following those guidelines that are set by the federal government must have supervision of a physician who can look at that ultrasound, who can read that ultrasound and then confirm, you know, all these different things that happen in a pregnancy. And then the nurse has to go through specialized training to be able to do that scan. And so because of our amazing donors, we've been able to place more than 1,400 grants, almost 1,500 if my staff wanted to poke at me a little bit. I always do the conservative. They do the high. They said, no, we're almost 1,500. But that's grants to cover the training for that nurse. And it could be multiple nurses. It could be an RDMS who needs just a little more skill set. But it's also getting that brand new ultrasound machine in there. And I don't have to tell you what it means to a woman to be able to look at that screen and see her child and say, oh, that's, that's my baby. We've heard that over and over and over. And one of the things that just resonates with me every time I hear it, and we have the joy of getting all of these wonderful stories from our pregnancy centers, women will say, oh, oh, that's, that's my baby. I was told it was a clump of tissue. I can see the heart beating. I can see the shape of that baby's face, the nose, little hands. And so to be able to explain to her um, visually what's going on in her body has made a huge difference. Um, and I know numbers sometimes don't mean anything, but I will share this with you. We have really strong data that comes in every single month from our centers, and more than 476,000 women have chosen life for their babies. And so that's the, that's the beauty of using technology to really introduce that woman and hopefully the father, that child, to what's going on. And it really, it really helps dispel that argument of, well, it's just a clump of tissue. No, it's not. And so we know that, but we also want to make sure that we're sharing that with that young woman from a very, very tangible way so she can see the life of that child growing inside her. Yeah, praise God for that success. And I think that that's so important, especially in today's day and age, to pull back that veil of of rhetoric mm -hmm. and and confusion and, and misconceptions around um, pregnancy and, and to be able to connect that mother and the father with that preborn child. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And and you alluded to the fact that there's such a, an incredible network of people, donors and volunteers, I'm sure as well, supporting these initiatives. And when you go in, whether it's to a church or to a rally and you're, you're generating this support for the next pregnancy care center, the next round of grants that you're doing, what is it that, that you kind of convey to these Christian churches in particular that I, I feel like a lot of Christian churches um, are, are like many other Americans or Canadians and somewhat oblivious and somewhat unaware of the need for pro-life involvement. I'm curious, what kind of words of, of inspiration or connection do you offer them to really motivate them to take this important injustice onto our own backs onto our own shoulders and trying to make a productive change in our contemporary culture? That is one of my favorite, favorite questions. So thank you for asking that. One of the things that's so important for um, really for myself as well as my team, it's not just about the baby. It really is about that woman and supporting her. But here's, here's one of the things that I don't think a lot of, of churches, like you said, are really aware of. 
we've been able to talk to um, a lot of post-abortion healing ministries, a lot of post-abortion healing women. Um, and even the, the programs at a pregnancy center where they're walking through that post-abortion healing, one of the things we always want to say is there's always redemption. You know, we know that the blood of Christ covers that, and we want her to know that there's hope and healing even past, you know, that decision. But one of the things that th these women tell us over and over and over is no one said, I'll go through that pregnancy with you. Now, I had eight women who said, or eight friends who said, I'll go to Planned Parenthood with you. And so as the church, and I don't mean this in a way to criticize the church, but really church, big C church. What if we were the ones that said, oh, my goodness, congratulations. What, what can I do to help? How can I be that support? What if you were the one person that could say to that woman in that really uncertain time of, I'm here for you. I'm going to walk through this pregnancy with you. That piece is such an educational gap. And what we talk about when we talk about pro-life, what does it mean to be pro-life? Are you just saying it? Do you really believe it? And what actions are you taking? Pro-life is a stance. Pro-love is an action. That pro-love is going alongside her. And you know what? Life is messy. We all know that. We all have things that, you know, we've gone through in our lives. This is messy. You know, this is messy when you talk to a young woman who's in that situation support looks very different. It could be, you know what, my mom and dad are going to kick me out, or I'm going to lose my scholarship, or father of the baby is going to leave if I choose to carry this baby. So how many of us are really willing to step in, open your home, let her stay with you, um, walk her through what it means to make an adoption plan and support her all the way through the pregnancy and then post-adoption. She is selfless. She is brave when she makes that decision, but there's also grief that comes with that, supporting her long-term. Support is the key to really changing this. And I often say, this is not a political issue. We've made it one. We, the population, we've made it a very political issue. It isn't. It's a hard issue. Again, what if we were to say to her, congratulations, what do you need? How can I help? I'm here long term. We don't, we don't ever want to compromise the truth. We know possibly that, you know, how she how she, how they ended up pregnant may not be what was God's perfect plan, you know, for us, but that baby's not a sin. Her pregnancy is not a sin. And we need to be able to share that with her. Um, there's no room for condemnation when you are looking at a young woman who is making the decision between the life of her child and ending the life of her child. We cannot condemn her. She doesn't need any more shame and guilt. She's already feeling that. I can attest to that. And so again, the support of her and her decisions is key to helping her make that decision. And then the ultrasound, to me, that's icing on the cake. You know, let's support her and then let's go Let's go show her that baby. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I think that really answers a, a question that I have in my mind and, and one that I've heard before as well. I've heard people say, you know, pro-life worker, that's one thing, but why don't you just share the gospel? Because if we just share the message of salvation, um, you know, that's going to change things around. And while you're saying, you know, we can't, I mean, we can't minimize that. We can't push that to the side. Um, but there certainly is a key element for the church to actually get involved, to to engage with those around us. Perhaps it's someone from our church. Perhaps it's someone from our community, from outside our church, our school, our yes. place of work, uh, or wherever that might be. As Christians, we need to be willing and ready to step in and to love that person, not just in word, but also in action, which is which is which is huge. And, and I think that's one of the things that you at Focus and the Family uh, do really well and, and highlight. Now, I do have a question, though, in terms of 
Um, when we look at some of the stats surrounding abortion, it seems to be that uh, the amount of women statistically in the church are getting abortions in the same rate as those outside of the church. Now, whether those stats are are exact or not exact, or perhaps what church and what church they're going to, who knows? Um, but there certainly is a problem with uh, churched women uh, and men as well, uh, coercing and and um, sort of pushing people to get an abortion. Uh, but people who go to church, people who profess faith in Jesus in in whatever way, uh, they're accessing abortions as well. I'm just curious, uh, in, in terms of the work you do at Focus on the Family, what sort of response do you have to this? How do you work to um, really get Christians to see that getting abortions, be it chemically, be it surgically, in whatever way, ending the life of your preborn child is something that is completely contrary to the message of the, of the gospel and the, the life we're supposed to live. First and foremost, your statistics are accurate. We actually just um, had a huge research project that we did specifically for Option Ultrasound and looking you know, toward the future and what we're doing. And it is very, very, I mean, it's, it's about 50-50 women in the church or not necessarily women in the church, but women who claim to have a faith of some sort, you know, a faith journey. Um, they are getting abortions at the same rate as women who are not, um, you know, in that category of there, there's any kind of faith journey or there's a, a connection with the church. Um, so it's very convicting. I'll be honest with you to think that, you know, there are women inside the church. I've known that for years. I myself was in the church. I did not have an abortion, but I did have the unplanned pregnancy. And I can speak to one of the reasons that um, we've heard just through the data that we've collected um, and a lot of focus groups, um, just having this conversation of why, you know, if you if you are in a church or if you have a faith, um, what would push you to that? Um, there's a variety of reasons. So hear me say that. And this is not in any way a condemnation of those choices. It's just right now it's, it's talking about the data. It's shame. It's guilt. Um, a lot of times it is, unfortunately, um, pressure from the, the young man. And I can share with you with permission, um, Dr. Greg Smalley, who heads up our marriage ministry here, Focus on the Family. You're probably familiar with Gary Smalley. That's his son, Greg. And Greg and his girlfriend in college chose an abortion. And Greg said, I remember thinking, I have a faith. I am a Christ follower, but there's so much shame because now I'm going to shame my father who's in this, this highlight, you know, of, of Christian ministry. And look what I've done. Look at the choices that I've made. So I have to hide this. I have to, I have to make this go away. And so I think that, uh, you know, that unfortunately comes from um, some of the church being very condemning, uh, very shameful because you've sinned, you know, you don't want to bring in shame. My dad was a head deacon and I, I have to be honest with you, that was one of my first thoughts was, oh, my goodness, this is going to embarrass my parents. This is so much shame. And so when you're in that place of, of uncertainty and there is fear, there is fear that goes along with that of the repercussions, you know, if I make this decision. So I have to I have to hide this. I have to fix that. So I think a lot of it comes from the shame of um, the decision that you made is not necessarily one that was. Um, biblical, you know, when you are walking outside of God's perfect plan for marriage and sexuality, this is a consequence. And so if you're in that place, you want to have a quick fix. And this feels like the quick fix. No one will know, especially when you're talking about a chemical abortion. 
you can have those pills now sent directly to your home. So this is now what we're calling a self-managed abortion. No one has to know. And so if you're trying to hide your pregnancy, you're trying to fix that situation, it's very easy to do that in this day and age. But again, I think it goes all the way back to, again, a heart issue of where you're feeling the shame, you're feeling the guilt, the condemnation. And churches and um, Christians as a whole, sometimes we're not the most um, forgiving people. We're not the most open people. And it's very easy to immediately judge. And so I think that a lot of that decision for women in that church comes from the quote unquote shame that's going to be felt if now you're in an unplanned pregnancy and you're not married. And so again, this all goes back to shame. And isn't that the tool of the enemy? So if he shames us and we hide this, then no one will ever know. And that's not what our, you know, that's not what scripture says. It's bring that into the light. And again, turning people back to the hope and the healing and the redemptive side of who Christ is, is so key um, in changing that mindset. Yeah. And that, that's a hard thing to do. I can, I can relate to that shame. If you, you know, you do something wrong and you're at church and, you know, you just don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it to your elders or to your friends or whoever. You just want to keep right. it quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you say, it's important to bring it to the light. Now, I'm just curious. Um, a lot of this, you know, shame perhaps comes from the the, the culture of the local church, perhaps um, the way we talk about abortion, the way we talk about those people mm-hmm. who get abortions um, and just sort of the yeah, the entire culture of the church. So in terms of sort of speaking to church leaders, perhaps pastors, elders, do you have any sort of ways or tips or strategies that they could approach this discussion in a way that both conveys that abortion is wrong? It's a moral evil. It ends the life of your preborn child while at the same time saying, you know, don't do it, but there is forgiveness here. There's a place for you here. And there's an open conversation to be had without that guilt and shame. Um, how, how do pastors and church leaders and just regular folks like us um, sort of balance those two? One of the key things that we've talked about probably over the last couple of years is changing um, even the words that we say. We've talked about how to have, I mean, one of the big things that we've been working on over the last two years is our event called Sea Life. I didn't know if you guys were heard in a little bit about that. Um, it was a big event that we started actually three years ago in New York City when Governor Cuomo signed a bill to allow abortion through 40 weeks. That's a full-term baby saying that there's no restriction, that you can have this abortion um, for any reason, up through any gestational age in your pregnancy, all the way up to that 40 weeks. And so our response to that was to do a live ultrasound in New York City in Times Square. Why not? Go big, right? A um, little bit of a, an undertaking to do that. But our goal in doing that was to say, to show the life of the baby, to show the humanity of the baby, but then working. And it it was successful. It was so incredible just to see the, the response to that. So then building off of that, one of the things we've really been deliberate about here at Focus is to change our wording. And I know that sounds very simple, but it is it probably is one of the key ways to start a pro-life conversation without it becoming vitriolic. It's pastors not using the word murder. And like you said, it is not a compromise. It is absolutely true what you said about abortion is wrong. It is the evil of this, you know, kind of our day and age. Um, we are not backing down from that. We 100 percent are pro-life in our stance, but it's the way we talk about it. It is not saying you're murdering your child. You, the woman who's made that decision, is a murderer. 
Um, when you do that, you are slamming the door to any any potential conversation that you could have that helps her make a decision for life. But then also any conversation to talk about a past abortion decision and then coming back to healing. So it's saying things. Um, we even have a, a guide for parents on how you can talk to your children about what it means to be pro-life. It's age and stage appropriate. It's saying things like, um, you know, not talking about children with a, uh, a special need in a really derogatory manner, not even intentional, but saying, oh, we just hope that baby's healthy. Well, what does that say? So if the baby's not, the baby has Down syndrome or the baby has autism or the baby, you list it. That's, that comes across as a negative when you just say, you know what, we're praying for that family. And you know what, we hope that they have um, an amazing child, the child that God wants them to have. It's just changing the entire way you talk about this. One of the things that a dear friend of mine who's supposed to have said to me, she said, I was so convinced this was the worst thing that I'd ever done in my entire life. And I didn't deserve Christ's forgiveness. So having the conversation of it's not the worst thing. There's no level of sin in Christ's economy. It's anything that separates us from the love of God, anything that separates us from fellowship with our Lord. And she said, I had to hear that over and over and over um, in a safe place where I knew I wouldn't be judged. That finally allowed me to go, I can be forgiven. I can start this healing. And she said, but hearing pastors say, you're a murderer, she said, I would leave a church. I would get up during a service and leave a church. So having even the words that we say changing, and again, not in compromising the truth, but in always turning someone back to the redemptive side of who Christ is. I'm so glad that you bring that up because obviously as part of this podcast, Peter, you and I are, are working as diligently as we can to try to provide our listeners with the compassionate and compelling tools that they need to have good conversations. And and something that springs to my mind from what you just said there is this notion of the unique and vital role that Christians have with regards to mercy when it comes to abortion decisions that mm-hmm. basically everybody has an intuitive understanding of justice. They have an intuitive understanding of when you do a wrong, it needs to be righted. And, and the weight that can rest on people's shoulders when it comes to, I've had an abortion, I've, I've done something that... I, I can't necessarily apologize for that. I can't right this wrong per se with my child. The notion of mercy, I, I believe, is a uniquely Christian notion that only our God can forgive in in such a profound and such a beautiful way and how important that message is um, for our pastors, for our leaders to be communicating to their congregations. Um, I, so I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And, and I'd love to to kind of change gears a little bit and ask a little bit about another theme that, that I've I've been reflecting on a lot of, of how so often we as Christians are what what I've heard called the reluct, the reluctant neighbor. Neighbors who who wish they didn't need to be a, a neighbor to the people around them and how for so many Christians with so many different attacks coming towards the family and and protection of our children and their education and, and all this sort of thing, so many Christians I find just want to be left alone. They just want to be able to put in a, an, an honest day's work, come home to their, their wife and family um, or whomever, whatever state of life they're in, and just be left alone by the general culture. And yet I'm sure that a lot of the communication that you're offering is that's not good enough. We need to go outside of our homes. We need to go outside of our churches. We need to go outside of our comfort zones at times and engage people. I know that you've been involved with rallies and marches. And as you mentioned, 
Times Square. I'm sure that that wasn't something that you wanted people hiding behind closed doors and like, oh, we just flash this thing up on a screen. And so what kind of words of encouragement and empowerment do you offer to Christians so that for those who say, oh, I, I can't have conversations about this, this touchy topic. I, I don't know how to talk to my family. I don't know how to talk to my friends, my coworkers, whomever they may be. What do you say to empower them and to challenge them to be that, um, that beacon of light in a culture that is so filled with darkness, I guess? Great question. And one of the things I'll just put a little plug in here, um, the Sea Life event that we just completed in August, leading up to that, we had six digital episodes. Um, they were just kind of com- like coffee shop conversations about really, really difficult topics. And that was one was how do I have a conversation or how do I respond to someone who, you know, they may not even know how they feel about abortion or they're very, very pro-choice. And so those episodes were really geared toward equipping you or equipping you know, kind of those of us, like you said, who are in this probably space, equipping us further on how to have those conversations. So that would be one of the things I would encourage your listeners to, you know, hop on over to focus on the family's website, look at those digital episodes, they're free. Um, a couple of them are a little lengthy, but you can listen, you know, come, come and go kind of thing. And it really is everyday people working in this pro-life space who can equip others on how to have these conversations. And I'll, I'll specifically talk about a dear friend of mine, Amy Ford. She is the founder and president of Embrace Grace. They have an amazing ministry to churches, specifically to churches, on how you have these conversations um, within your church. How do you start an Embrace Grace group? And that group really is exactly what it says. It's all grace-filled. Um, how do you have the conversation without, again, compromising truth, but then also supporting her? And Amy is the one that I think years ago challenged me about my pro-life stance. Is it just, um, is it my stance or is there an action? And I think, Peter, you had even mentioned that earlier on what actions do we take. Often, I don't think it's words. I think when you go you know, to a neighbor, I'll give you a for instance. We have two widows in my neighborhood and my grandson is 19 years old and without asking, will go shovel the driveways or rake their leaves. It is action. It is us putting our faith to action. And sometimes it's being aware of the little things. It's um, it again. I think it's again. I don't think it's words. I really don't think it is. Hey, let me tell you why I'm pro-life. You know, it's not that kind of in your face aggressiveness. It is getting to know someone. It's being in relationship. Um, you know, that's one of the things we talk about at a pregnancy center. Um, we don't immediately, you know, say, oh, you need Jesus. Everything's going to be fine. It's no, we're going to meet her at her point of need. She is in a crisis situation. It's then building the relationship and then earning that trust with her to have those conversations. And so it takes us, like you said, Cam, getting out of our comfort zone and getting to know our neighbors. Um, it doesn't mean that you, um, you're best friends forever and ever. It means that you are a safe place where they can have those conversations um, we have neighbors that they say they're pro-choice, um, but they don't agree with abortion. And so we've had great conversations. Some have been very robust um, conversations about how we feel, but I always listen. And they said that the other day. They're like, you never judge. You always listen to our side of the story, our perspective, and then you share with us why you may or may not agree with that. And so, again, it's that relationship. And isn't that what Christ created us for? He created us for his fellowship, his relationship. That's how he created us. And so you have to have those relationships. It's it's more than just, hey, knocking on the door, I need a cup of sugar. 
um, is stepping into people's lives um, when it is messy, when it is hard. Don't think you always have to have the perfect words to say. Um, it sometimes is, I'm so sorry your family is going through this. May I pray for you? Um, what do you need? And sometimes it's even going beyond the what do you need? It's, you know what? I'm bringing dinner Tuesday night. Here you go. Because when you're in the middle of a crisis situation, maybe it's your 16-year-old daughter just came to you and said, hey, I'm pregnant. It's no words. It's an action. Here's food. Love you. Praying for you. And then you step out. There doesn't have to be a perfect word or perfect phrase that changes all this. Um, one of the episodes that we had talked about a young woman who had an adverse diagnosis at 20 weeks. They were told baby was incompatible with life. The physician immediately said, let's fix this for you. We'll just take care of this at seven o'clock tomorrow morning, which meant let's go have an abortion. So you're going to fix the problem. Laura and her husband, Josh, chose to carry that baby to term. Pearl lived for an hour and a half. And she talks about that, about the women and men in their communities, in their neighborhood, in their church, who never said anything. They just showed up. Here's groceries for the week. I'm going to take your, your son to soccer with me. Will I take my son to soccer? Again, it's action. It is relationship. It's not necessarily the perfect words. So probably not what you wanted to hear, Cam, as far as what words, but I think it's more the action and it's more the relationship um, than it ever is a perfect word. No, absolutely. I'm so glad that you frame it that way because that, that authentic ambassador Christian living, I think is so essential that so often pro-lifers are characterized only by the words that they, they have written on their signs so that they're shouting in megaphones and whatnot, but they just had a, that authentic living and, and demonstrating their pro-life ethic, their, their support of people in whatever walk of life or whatever. It, it makes me think of a funny story from over the summer. I, I play on a competitive men's baseball team here in Calgary and the shortstop on our team called me. I'm, I'm also the manager of the team. And the shortstop on the team called me half an hour before the game. And he said, Cam, I, I can't make it. My, my partner is sick. And my two-year-old, we, we don't have a babysitter mm -hmm. for him. And I just looked at my coworker who was sitting beside me and like, hey, do you want to come to a baseball game tonight and look after my, my shortstop's kid? And, and I told him, like, oh, just bring your son and, and my coworker will look after him. And he was like, oh, you know what, Cam? Like, we're money's tight right now. We're not going to be able to afford a babysitter. And I was like, oh, my coworkers love babies. Like, just bring them and, and they'll hang out. And I think he bought um, the, the team footlong hot dogs or something. And just like a funny, mm -hmm. he knows that I work for a pro life organization. He knows, um, that outreach is a lot of what I do, but just seeing like, oh, I'm in a pinch with my kid and I don't know how I'm going to make it work, but this this pro-life community is going to be there in a very random way to just like play with my kid in a sandpit while I play baseball kind of thing. I, I love the way that you frame that. The, the authentic relationships are so, so valuable. I guess changing gears a little bit. So I'd love to, you, you've mentioned some of the the resources and whatnot that are available to people who want to learn a little bit more and how to cultivate those relationships and whatnot. And actually the, the impetus behind even setting up this interview is that I had received one of the emails from Focus on the Family talking about um, one of the courses that you guys offer. And I know that this is more of a, an academic and, and looking at abortion in America. I, I believe if I'm correct, the course is called Eight Lies About Abortion. The truth, they don't want you to know. Uh, it's a course featuring Dr. Aveda King, Abby Johnson, Candace Owens, and count, countless others. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that just because it came on my radar and it was kind of the, this is very interesting. Maybe, maybe a little bit about this course and others that more for what people can learn about um, 
pro-life, the, the pro-life issue where they can learn a little bit about the background and then application, I suppose, as well. Absolutely. So that particular video series is in kind of in conjunction with what we've done over the past couple of years with the Sea Life event. Um, Dr. Alveda King is very, very transparent in her past abortion decisions. And she talks about it in a way where she bought the lie. You know, she was told that um, it really wasn't any more painful than, you know, having dental work done. And, you know, how her grandfather talked to her about that and how he is the one that said, they're lying to you. So it's her personal story. Um, and she doesn't pull any punches. I mean, she really talks about how that impacted. But then she also talks about, look at, look at what most society would say, oh, that's the worst thing you've ever done. She had two abortions. And now look what God has used her. You know, And so th- that, again, that redemptive story of, yes, there was a decision made way back here that really impacted her. But she has chosen not to hide that story. She's chosen to share that story and then to share how God has been able to really use that. And then Abby Johnson, as you know, worked at a Planned Parenthood in Texas. And her mission, really her goal in her ministry, is to get healthcare workers out of the abortion industry. Um, and it is, again, it is a grace-filled approach to this. Um, and she said, you know, she bought the lie of, I really truly believe that I was helping women. So why wouldn't I do this? This is healthcare, you know? And so it's Abby really talking about her journey of how she, um, first of all, how she came into working in the abortion industry, how she came out of that. And now what God is using for me, how God is using her story to really impact, you know, nurses and doctors and her goal is, and then there were none, meaning there are no more healthcare providers who are willing to do these abortions. Um, and so it's it's just those different, and again, it's relationships, it's stories, it's those stories of how God has released someone from um, a past decision that has been not life-filled, and how God is now using them to reach into other people's lives. And I think it, I love the fact that it's a video series that you can watch as a husband and wife, or even in a Bible study group, um, maybe even in your book club, it could be something that you watch with, I would say probably older kiddos. You don't want um, littles, you know, talking or hearing about some of the really um, kind of the more distressing, you know, side of these topics. Um, but one of the really one of the pieces to those video series that we do offer families is called Valuing Life from the Start. And it is in modules. It's age and stage appropriate. So it is a way to fully equip yourself and having those conversations, again, with people who may not know how they feel about abortion. Um, they've been told it's healthcare. You know, we have doctors and nurses who are talking on those, those video series. This is not healthcare. When you're a physician, when you go into medicine, you are there to, to help people. You're not there to harm people. And so even un, really uncovering and talking more about that lie of why abortion is in healthcare. And so it's just a great way for people to, and again, we're not telling people how they should believe. We're saying, here's the information. You need to do this research on your own. You need to study this on your own. And then you take it to the foot of the cross and you let God kind of lead you into what that looks like next steps. What's he calling you to do? I have a colleague who always says, She's very challenging. She convicts me all the time. She's very inspiring. She says, what is God saying your yes is? My yes is different than yours. What's God asking you to say yes to? Again, it goes back to the action. I have never worked in a pregnancy center outside of my work here at Focus on the Family. And I'm not saying that everyone should, but is God calling you to 
you know, walk in their, in their walk, you know, or their gala. Um, what is God calling you to say yes to? And, you know, that could be foster care. That could be elder care. That could be caring for someone who has a child with a special need. Um, again, that could be, you know, that could be a woman walking through a pregnancy. It could be that young woman who's saying, I'm going to carry this baby. I'm going to parent this baby, but now I'm a single parent. Um, what if she has a little boy? That then is looking at Cam and Peter saying, you could be the young man that steps in and says, this is what it means to be a Christ-filled, godly man if she doesn't have that in her life. And again, it's always about the action. It's always about the relationship. And then it's what's your yes? What's God calling you to say yes to? Um, and so I think that the video series is part of that. You know, it's it's giving that information and then you taking that to your family and saying, what can we as a family, what can we as a pro-life family say yes to? And so I'm excited about the video series. It can be challenging. It can be very convicting. But again, that's not focused on the family convicting you. You know, that's the Holy Spirit stepping in and saying, hey, Peter, I need you to do this. Or, hey, Cameron, I need you to do this. And so it's being willing to look at the videos, read the, the corresponding documents, um, and then praying about how God's willing to, or how you're willing for God to use you in this space. That's good. And there's a lot there. And we do want to talk uh, briefly about adoption and foster care, but I want to just take a step back as well. You talk about some of the lies about abortion and, and off the top of the, on the top of the show, you mentioned the abortion pill. And that's sort of one mm -hmm. of the great lies that we hear. We had a conversation with Alison Santafonte from Live Action about the abortion mm -hmm. pill and then uh, Dr. Matthew Harrison about the abortion pill reversal procedure that he helped spearhead and create. But one of the lies we hear all the time, one of the things we hear all the time from the media, from uh, abortion supporters, is that the abortion pill is like the next big safe thing for women. Um, it's the best option. Uh, there's no side effects. Uh, everyone should have access to this abortion pill. And the abortion pill reversal procedure happens to be extremely unscientific and don't take it because it's terrible. And um, there's no credible medical doctor or professional who's going to, uh, you know, assign this to you or, or say you should take the reversal procedure mm -hmm. because of how terrible it is. And you mentioned as well that there's a, a significant rise in chemical abortions in sort of your at-home abortions. You don't have to go to the abortion clinic, sign the papers, go into a room, meet a whole bunch of, come face to face with a whole bunch of people, but you can do it at your home. You can get a, a pill, a two pills. Uh, you can take them in the safety of your home and, uh, and really no one has to know and so what are some of the sort of messages that that focus on the family is um, sharing about the abortion pill and how are you sort of responding to this new way to do abortions, this sort of new, I mean, I mean, it's, it's one thing to do ministry outside of abortion clinics and talk to people and show people what an abort, right. uh, aborted child looks like at 12, 13, 14 weeks. But what about the abortion pill when we're talking about a child that's way younger and it's just a whole different procedure? Right. We work, um, actually, we have what's called a Physicians Resource Council here at Focus on the Family. We have 25 docs from around the U.S., a couple from Canada. Um, and one of the things that we are super careful about doing is always having that medical perspective. Um, we what The information that we provide has been looked at by those physicians. It's medically accurate. It's life-affirming. And so we've been very, very careful um, and very deliberate in talking with those physicians on, you know, what is our response? Um, unfortunately, there is, like I said, there is a rise in that. It's becoming more and more accessible. Um, there is an organization that says, hey, if you're in one of these states and you have an actual mailing address, we can just send it to your home. And now this is a self-managed abortion in the privacy of your home. 
So when I heard that, I took that to the physicians and I said, what other medical procedure is allowed to be self-diagnosed and then self-managed at home? There is no other procedure outside of an abortion. Uh, so here's here's some of the, the what you're talking about side effects, and these come straight from our OB/GYNs, our obstetrician gynecologists, right here at Focus. Um, is excessive bleeding, and there's nothing in those pills that say how much is too much. Um, you know the things that women are being told. Here's one of the lies: it's like a heavy period. You're going to have cramping and some bleeding. That can be further from the truth when you are taught. If you're not using that pill, please hear me say this: this is not a uh, a condoning of the pill, but if you're looking at using this correctly, it is supposed to be in those really, really early weeks of your pregnancy. If you have not had a pregnancy test or an ultrasound to determine gestational age, um, there is a chance that you are further along than what you think you are. Young women often will tell us, well, I've never really had um, a consistent period, so I really don't know how far along I am. I don't know how many periods I've missed. And so you're talking about a young woman who may not even know the gestational age of that baby, and now she's taking this pill. The first pill, mefepristone, stops the progesterone, and that's the hormone in a woman's body that helps that baby grow. So baby is now dying. Second pill starts the contractions, and so you are now delivering possibly a fully formed baby at home. I cannot imagine the psychological or the emotional um, implications for that young woman who's thinking, I'm going to take care of this. This is easy. Um, my heart breaks for her. My heart breaks that someone has told her that this is okay, that she's now doing this on her own and she's now recognizing what she's done to her child. I cannot imagine the grief that she's going to go through for probably the rest of her life. So the way that Focus on the Family is addressing this, we are partnering with Heartbeat International. That is an amazing pro-life organization that works with pregnancy centers across the globe. Um, they have an abortion pill reversal network. Um, the physician you just mentioned and Dr. George Delgado and another physician, William Lyle, have been very instrumental in getting this reversal um, network up and running. And one of the beauties of this um, the 800 number for the abortion pill reversal network is managed and really monitored um, by a nurse, by a medical professional, 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year, so that when a young woman takes that first pill, panics, says, I don't, I don't want to do this, she can call that 800 number and that network can connect her with a pregnancy center, a physician, a doc's office who has, they've been um, they've been what I was certified in doing the abortion pill reversal. And so they can get her started on that reversal right away. And again, it's a medical procedure being diagnosed by a medical professional and then being prescribed medicine by a physician. And now she's under the care of a physician who can walk through that with her. And so the protocol is super easy. It is progesterone. So you're now replacing the progesterone that the mifeprix or the mifepristone stopped. And we have the, the um, research from Dr. Delgado is fascinating. You can go online and find it. It is validated. There is less instance of preterm labor. There's less instance of birth abnormalities um, when you take that progesterone. It's something that a woman has in her body anyway. We're just kind of giving her a little boost to start that again. And there has been over 2,500 babies 
born alive and completely healthy through the abortion pill reversal. So it does work. It is not fake science. It's not fake medicine. Um, I really feel like, and this is just a personal opinion, that the reason that they're being we're we're being told that this is fake medicine, it can stop an abortion, and now you're impacting the financial outcome and the financial gain that Planned Parenthood has. Um, because why why would I why would I say it's real medicine and and have people not want to pay that medicine, you know, pay that amount of money to get that abortion? So it is not fake medicine. It is validated, and again, twenty five hundred women have gone through the the reversal and they have babies that are alive. And well, the very first one that we know of started kindergarten last year. So this has been around for five years. That little guy is doing phenomenal. He's a little kindergartner, probably honorary as I'll get out because he's a little boy, but he has zero side effects from going through that abortion reversal. So again, partnering with Heartbeat International, they do a phenomenal job. Lots and lots of nurses have volunteered their time. They're on staff as well. Um, and again, you're answering a medical question by a medical professional. And then our database here at Focus, the My Choice Network, um, there is a link at our landing page that goes directly to the Abortion Pill Reversal Network. And a nurse answers that chat line within three seconds. So there's help for her right away. And so it is our joy. It's our privilege to partner with someone who's doing it and doing it well and then just to be able to send women um, to, to help at their fingertips is a true blessing. So that was really our kind of our response to the abortion pill was just to who's doing it, doing it well. How can we come alongside? How can we join them um, in our relationship with the abortion pill reversal folks as well as Heartbeat International is amazing. And we have right now they have over a thousand people on that network pregnancy centers and physicians and doctor's offices who can do that protocol. So there's help. There's help and hope right at the, I mean, right at the click of a button. Gotcha. And I'm so grateful for the, not only the, the support, but the clarity that Focus on the Family is offering around this emerging, as you mentioned, Peter, this emerging um, procedure and, and strategy of the abortion industry. And, and that clarity is so important. Um, Robin, there's a million other things that I would love to ask you. The last one that I will in this episode, maybe we'll get you on for another episode here in the coming months and whatnot. Um, you, you've obviously taken a, a very um, high focus in the realm of adoption and foster care. And I'm wondering if you could speak, and, and you've also mentioned in this episode about the importance of language and communication around adoption. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how to effectively communicate about adoption. And, and what I mean by that is so often... I hear pro-lifers talk about abortion, uh, sorry, adoption as kind of a flippant other sort of thing of like, mm -hmm. oh, you just give that kid up for adoption or, or like, why not just, just go through with a, an adoption? It's easy. It's simple. You don't have to think about it. It's nothing like that. What in, in uh, not, not quite a nutshell, I suppose, but, but what kind of language do you use around, um, the very, very emotional, very, um, impactful process of both foster care and adoption that the Christians ought to be aware of when they're having conversations or when they're um, talking to people about the option of adoption, which truly is a beautiful option, but surely isn't nearly as simple as many pro-lifers, I'm sure, are making it out to be, I guess. Great question. And I'll, I'll kind of address the adoption side first and then quickly talk about foster care. So you were spot on again in saying really changing our 
um, the words that we say and how we talk about this. Um, I, I will say we're probably in a better place now than we've been in, in many, many years. And one of, the, one of the ways we talk about adoption now is really talking about making an adoption plan. That means that young woman has very methodically thought about what does it mean to carry this child to term and what does it mean to make an adoption plan. Pregnancy centers are getting better and better and better at talking about that option, that choice. Um, you know, and that's one of the things they talk about when they meet with these young women is, you know what, you do have a choice. You know, choice is is um, very, you know, spotlighted in our culture today, you know, about pro-choice. It's your choice. It's my body, my choice. We do talk about you have choices. We know the better option or the better choice is life. So let's talk about making an adoption plan, and that's coming alongside that young woman, um, usually with an adoption agency, someone who can really answer all of her questions about what does it mean to have an open adoption? What does it mean to have a semi-open adoption? What does it mean to have a closed adoption? And what are my rights, you know, within this? Um, you know, and always, always is a blessing to that young woman, but there's also grief. There's a young woman who did a broadcast for Focus. Her name is Lindsay Ofen. Um, and she said, she goes, it was the most bittersweet day of my life. She goes, total celebration. I brought life into the world, total grief because now I'm losing this child. And she said, so she goes, I knew it was the right decision for me. I knew that it was the best decision for me, but there was still grief. And so she actually worked with a grief counselor. And I know that sounds weird because you think grief, well, she brought a child in, but she's still, there's still that loss of what she thought her life was going to be. And so really, really being aware of the mental health aspect of this and not shying away from it and not just saying, oh, you need to pray harder, really addressing that from her mental health perspective and honoring the decision that she made. It is a very brave, sacrificial decision she's making. But changing that from giving your kid up to making an adoption plan means that she's in control and she's choosing what she knows is best for her baby first and then her second, she's putting everything that's best for that child above her own needs and her own desires. So honoring her is huge. And that's one of the things we need to talk about. The foster care side that we do here at Focus is to raise awareness of children that are currently in foster care that are waiting for forever homes. And what I mean by that is for whatever reason, parental rights have been terminated. Um, unfortunately, there could be, you know, a loss of extended family that can take that child. And so those kiddos, um, through no fault of their own, these are not bad kids. These are not bad kids. These are kids who come from a trauma background. So there may be some, some hard behaviors that need addressing, but they're not bad kids and they are not in foster care because they've done something wrong. It's usually mom and dad are not a safe place. And so they've been removed because they need to be in a safe place. The children need to be in a safe place. So we work with churches across the United States and we go into that community and talk about children just in that community. The numbers are very overwhelming. More than 400,000 children currently in foster care in the United States. Out of that, 110,000 are available for adoption here in the United States. So we work with churches. We raise awareness of the children in their community because it feels a little more doable. It feels a little more achievable when you're talking about maybe 20, you know, 2,500 children versus 100,000 children. And so we work very closely with child placement agencies, government agencies, and we actually are invited into these communities. It's not focused on the family coming in and saying, hey, we're here to save the day. We have all the answers. 
It's no, you know what? We're the convener. We can come in and we can pull churches together and government agencies and child placement agencies together to really work for those children and get those kiddos in forever homes. And so it's a little different. Adopting from foster care is very different than adopting an infant. Um, adopting from foster care um, takes a special special call. But again, what's your yes? Is God calling you to foster? Is God calling you to adopt from foster care? Maybe God's calling you to be the family that supports a family that has adopted from foster care. So lots of great ways to get involved. Um, and um, I... I am just blown away at the, the number of families that have started the adoption process through one of our events called Wait No More. So we have almost 5,000 families that have, stopped, that have started that process to adopt from foster care. So a lot of them are stepping up going, we'll take a sibling group, we'll take a child with special needs. And so um, not everyone's called to adopt, but all of us are called to do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a quick answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Thank you. And there's so much there, Robin. And I wish we... Um, it could go for a lot longer, but we are going to have to wrap it up. I wonder if you could guide us or direct us to any key resources, perhaps on some of the, the work you talked about on abortion or on foster care or adoption mm -hmm. or perhaps just your website. Um, but it, could you direct us to a few resources from Focus on the Family for listeners who want to learn a little bit more? Yes, great question. So just go to FocusOnTheFamily.com. We have an entire page dedicated to pro-life. There are resources there that are free downloads um, that, like you mentioned, Kim, about the video series. The six digital episodes are up and available. We even have resources on how to begin the process to um, learn about what it means to be a foster parent or what does it mean to adopt from foster care? What does it mean to have an open adoption? All of that is on there. Lots of lots of great videos, lots of great broadcasts. Um, with people who've lived this, who've walked this, and again, lots of articles, um, lots of free downloads and resources to really um, help your listeners understand what it means to enter into being pro-life, but to be pro-action as well. Perfect. Thank you. We'll throw that uh, that link in the show notes, the Focus on the Family website in our show notes for people who want to just scroll down and click it. Um, Robin, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me on and thanks for having these conversations. This is how we change hearts and minds. Absolutely. Thank you. That was Robin Chambers with Focus on the Family. That was a great conversation. I learned a lot about the pro-life work and the pro-life focus that uh, Focus on the Family has and that Robin has been uh, very intimately involved in for a long time. It's, it's always encouraging, Cam. I think you can say the same thing to hear about the children that have been saved. She mentioned right off the top, one of the first things she said was, was it like 400 and something thousand children um, have been saved? She talked about uh, the children that have been saved through the abortion pill reversal procedure, over 2,500 right now. And uh, and the one in, in kindergarten, I mean, that is I mean, that is amazing. That is is just, I mean, words, words can't express it. But I wonder, do you have any final thoughts or, or things you want to share? As we wrap this up, yeah, two things that come to mind. Uh, first of which is her attention to both relational and communicational components of effective outreach. And obviously, Peter, that's something you and I are very dedicated towards trying to equip people with the tools that they need, concrete skills to have those compelling and compassionate conversations. I think Raman hit the, the nail on the head when she talked about the value of relationships, when she talked about um, the importance of an authentic pro-life action not just a pro-life stance and how uh, the words that we're using matters, whether it's in talking academically about abortion or whether it's talking about foster care or adoption. So I, I think that was really cool. 
And one thing that, that just kind of spurs me on that I'll, I'll mention for our audience here is that uh, obviously she was very, very um, dedicated towards mobilizing mobilizing people. And if you are interested in learning about how you can get involved in stuff that people like you and I, Peter, are doing at CCBR, as many of you know, um, the Pro-Life Guys podcast is an initiative of the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. You can go to our website, not the Pro-Life Guys website necessarily. You can go there too. Um, but you can go to CCBR's website, which is end thekilling.ca and thekilling.ca. You can go to the tab that says take action and you can learn all about the various um, programs, courses, events that we have coming up. Some of them aren't going to be until next summer in 2022, which is crazy that next summer is 2022. Um, some of them are going to be coming up sooner, depending on when you're listening to this um, episode. And so check out endthekilling.ca slash take action um, for how you can get more involved, whether in your local community or whether it's uh, traveling to Calgary to hang out with me, Toronto to hang out with Peter or one of our other locations to hang out with the wonderful staff there. Yeah, and just to just to highlight what people can find under the take action tab, one of the I mean, we do internships, so two month programs, four month programs, eight month programs. And for a lot of people, that might be a lot. But maybe if it's a lot and, and you're like, you know what, I could still do it. I could still uh, sort of sacrifice my time or, or whatever or my, my job or whatever it might be. Um, for the preborn children, we certainly do want to encourage that. Many people have done that and gone through the internship program, and it's been an absolute, absolute blessing for them. But we also have two-day programs, like two-day crash courses. And what you're going to get at each and every one of these events, you're going to receive training on pro-life strategy, the strategies we can utilize to fight abortion in Canada and elsewhere. And you're going to receive conversational skills. So some of the things we talk about on the program, you'll be in a room with people receiving these conversational dialogue trainings, um, learn just some techniques that you can use and some strategies you can use in conversations to actually have effective conversations. A lot of people don't think that's possible. I hope if you're listening, if you're a listener of the program, you do believe that that is possible at this point. Um, but you're able to receive a lot of that training and then spend time on the streets with, uh, some of our, our interns or staff, uh, or regular volunteers to, to learn how we do what we do and to sort of get a, a bit of a taste of the work that we do here, having conversations on the streets with people about abortion. So you'll find two-day programs, you'll find eight-month programs, and you'll find a lot of different ones in between. So do check out the Take Action tab. There is something there for everyone. Cam, uh, that is that is it. I'm going to wrap this up. My name is Peter. That's Cam. We're the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can find us on our website, prolifeguys.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube and you like listening on your commute, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you find your favorite content or the or right, vice versa. If you're on your commute and you want to watch the, the episode as well, you can do that by finding and subscribing to and hitting that bell notification button on the Pro-Life Guys podcast channel. Thank you so much. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Robin Chambers. Feel free to reach out to us at any point of the day. We might not answer at any point of the day, but you can reach out to us whenever you want about anything that is on your mind. Until then, we hope you tune in again next time. God bless each and every one of you.